people of God had been in exile, they're coming home to Jerusalem. They see the steps leading into the temple, and as they ascend each one, they pray and give praise to God. They teach us how to pray and praise God in difficult times. Join us for this series every Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are continuing our study in the Psalms of Ascent. And we are so happy that you have joined us for the continuation of this study. Unless something happens that uh, would change the content of what I'm about to say to you, this will be the first Wednesday night uh, of several Wednesday nights where we will be postponing all activities on the campus at First Baptist Church, Waynesboro. We've had significant COVID outbreaks in our county. We're standing, as I speak to you tonight, unless things changed during today for the better, at a place where 30% of our population is testing positive. That means one and three of our fellow citizens are dealing in a very personal way and in many cases, I am sure, in a very difficult way with this nasty COVID-19 virus. We had thought and hoped and prayed that when we passed from 2020 into 2021, we would say goodbye so long to COVID. We were done with COVID and mentally and emotionally, we are done with COVID. But unfortunately, COVID-19 is not done with us. So out of a phrase I have grown to detest, an abundance of caution, we are returning to a time on Sunday when we will gather for worship in the sanctuary at 1030 and in the fellowship hall. But we will for now until the first week in February cease all other activities. Now this will be this video will be airing on Wednesday and if things change between now and then please 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 pay attention disregard what I just said and pay attention to notices on our website and also to information that we will be publishing on our First Baptist Church Facebook page this is where we are for now. It is not where we wanted to be, but it is where we are and circumstances and frankly care for you uh, cause us to uh, do Wednesday night for now from uh, this particular place and this particular perspective. Psalm 126, let's get into the reason that we're here. I want to read Psalm 126. It is one of my favorite psalms, not only in the Psalms of Ascent, but in the entire Psalter. So let's listen to what it says and reflect tonight on what it means. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. 
Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Pray with me. God, there are those tonight who are weeping. They're weeping the loss of friends and family members. They're weeping over the pain of these difficult days. They're weeping over their predicaments into which this particular pestilence has put us. They're weeping over relationships that are not able to be enjoyed as they once were enjoyed because of the presence of COVID-19. They're weeping over not being able to see mothers and fathers, grandmothers and grandfathers, grandmothers and grandfathers not being able to see and enjoy much time at all with grandchildren. Parents separated from children, children from parents, a school teacher is not able to enjoy their students and having them present in the classroom and students not being able to enjoy the full range of benefits that come with being in school. Sickness that has invaded homes and families, children that tonight are struggling with this virus. These are not easy times. There is much weeping. And yet, God, tonight we come to thank you that you see our tears and you sense our tears and you know our sorrows and that you enter into all of that with words of comfort and consolation, words of strength and grace, words of peace and provision, words that provide what we need in these moments. So, God, through the richness of your word, would you speak to us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, psalm 126, the very first time I heard this psalm preached was at the Southern Baptist Convention meeting in Las Vegas, Nevada in 1989. The preacher was the then president of the Southern Baptist Convention for that year, and frankly, one of the most powerful preachers that Southern Baptists have ever produced. This great man of God is still living and is one of the finest of the expository preachers among Southern Baptists. Along with Adrian Rogers and 
a few others, he still today serves as an example of the kind of evangelistic expository preaching that needs to be not only learned but employed by those who are called to be preachers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he took this psalm and placed it in an evangelistic context and spoke about the broken-hearted evangelist. Uh, that in order to be effective in evangelism, we must sow in tears. And the tears that are to be present are the tears that come over the broken heart that we all ought to have for those who are lost. I wonder sometimes as a pastor in our context if if we ever believe anybody goes to hell. Oh, I believe we believe it biblically and I believe we believe it philosophically but do we really believe it practically that people without Jesus, family members we know, friends we know who regardless of what they said with their lips, their lives bear no fruit of a relationship with Jesus. Many of whom walk away from the church at an early age and never return, but they may have made a profession of faith sometime in their childhood, but in their young adult and adult years, there's no real commitment to the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. And if the Bible is true, then if they die without repentant hearts and lives and fruit from their faithfulness, they go to hell. Are we broken over that? Do we weep over that? Now that sermon that day in Las Vegas, Nevada, God used it through his Holy Spirit to rip into my heart. I had grown comfortable in my Christian faith. I had grown, I don't think callous, but I had grown disinterested in evangelism. I had grown to the place where I wasn't growing at all. I was diminishing in my devotion to the Lordship of Jesus. I couldn't stand there and tell you on that day in Las Vegas, when was the last time that I had shared the gospel with a lost sinner? It was a great sermon. It was one of the most powerful sermons I'd ever heard, but I would learn some years later that it... Uh, was not faithful to the historical context in which this text was written. The application was wonderful, uh, but the historical connection was missed. It was missed entirely. As I transition now to talk about the historical context and the meaning for us, the real meaning for us in our lives of this particular psalm of Ascent, I simply want to transition by reminding all of us that in order for us to make proper application of any biblical text, we must first know what it means. And we cannot know what it means unless we know what it meant. Every text of the Bible 
ultimately has one author, and that author is God through his Holy Spirit. But we do not diminish the intention of the human author. And in the Psalms of Ascent, we know that the human author is David. Here are the people that are returning from exile, and they're coming into the sacred city of Jerusalem, those steps that ascend into this city of special significance to all of these pilgrims. And with each ascending step, they are declaring praise to God, even in the midst of their pain. The author of this psalm is writing in the context of pain, felt pain. They love the city of Jerusalem. Uh, their meaning in life was tied to the city of Jerusalem. Their identity was tied to the city of Jerusalem. All that would give them purpose and passion in life was tied to the city of Jerusalem, and it had been devastated and desecrated. Do you have any place in life that gives you that kind of meaning? Do you tie who you are to any particular place or any particular person or any particular project or any particular activity? It is a dangerous place to be, particularly if you are a child of God. I know that I'm a child of God because I'm a member of First Baptist Church. That can be dangerous. I know that I belong to God because I was baptized in First Baptist Church. That can be very dangerous. The Bible says that to be a child of God is to have no permanent home here on this earth. And no place to which we are forever attached. I read this week of a church in South Carolina that uh, two days before Christmas, a fire swept through that building and gutted the beautiful sanctuary and uh, destroyed the educational building. The only thing left standing and usable was the Family Life Center. The interim pastor of that church stood there on that day alongside many of his members in the cold, and they, they watched that building being destroyed, and he would remind them as much as they loved that building and as much sweat and toil had gone into the building of that building, the church is not that building. And they're in the process now of transitioning from a time when they met first in a local high school, now meeting in the Family Life Center, but learning that they cannot tie their identity to any place. Look at the images that are used in the Bible 
of who we are as the people of God. We are pilgrims. We are sojourners. We are strangers. We are aliens here upon this earth. God took this people. This people who had forgotten their identity. This people that had become very powerful and very prosperous and very prominent. They enjoyed all those things. But they had lost sight of God. And as they lost sight of God, they lost sight of who they were as the people of God. And God sent prophets to preach to them, to call them to repentance and to remember who their God is and who they are as the people of God. And they killed the prophets and rejected the word. Uh, most of them were saying, why, why do we need these preachers? These preachers who are calling us to repentance or the judgment of God is coming. Look around. We've got this great city and this great temple and we are filled with prosperity and abundance is overflowing. Our crops are producing bountifully and we have many cattle in the stall and others on the hills and we have everything that we need or want. But they had forgotten and their forgetting led to their forsaking and their forsaking led to them forging a life in which they named the name of God. We are God's people, they said, and we believe in this God, but they were under his judgment and did not know it. So God sent a foreign invader from the north, Babylonia, into Jerusalem and carted them off to exile. He brought them under his judgment to teach them about who he is and who they are to be. Do you ever wonder if God is in the initial stages of judgment over us? Do you wonder if all that's going on in our day, not just with COVID, but at our capital in recent days, this, this in, a, in a right sense, a good sense, this sacred space in our land where people ravaged it and beat those in blue? People were shot and killed. Do you wonder? Well, this is what we know when God brought his people under judgment in those days, there were reasons. Let me give you five of them very quickly. Number one, God was bringing them under his judgment. When he took them out of Jerusalem into Babylonian exile, he was bringing them under his judgment because they refused to repent. They refused to turn from their sin and turn to God in tears and weeping before God. Secondly, he wanted to show them that they're not in control. Do you know that when God blesses a people with abundance, with prosperity and plenty, 
that Satan at the same time is at work and he's sowing seeds of pride? Look at what you have done. Look at the life that you have built. Look at the houses that you have constructed. Look at the lands that you own. God's not pleased with that. God is never pleased with that. Because there is not one thing you have that did not come to you from God. Not one single thing. And they had come to this place where they had attributed their success to themselves. Thirdly, God was purging his people. And not all of those who were worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem, bringing their sacrifices and offering their offering. Not all of them were God's people, but some were. And those few that were faithful to God had become overwhelmed by those who did not belong to God. And God is purging so that fourthly, he can preserve a remnant. God always has a remnant. It is the few that are chosen by God, called by God, redeemed by God, and fifthly, God is preparing a people, a people who will live for the praise of his name. And it is that remnant that God has brought back from Babylonian judgment. And this is what Psalm 126 is all about. I believe Psalm 126 teaches us three great truths in the midst of the horror sometimes, the penetrating pain sometimes of God's judgment. Number one, when God restores us out of our pain and his judgment, that restoration brings rejoicing in God alone. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. The, the rejoicing here is not in the fortunes, it's in the restoration. When the Lord restored the fortune of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. The rejoicing is in God alone. The people see what God has done in restoring his people and they are glad. You know, in the midst of the abundance of God's material and monetary provisions, we can forget the goodness of God. And God, in his goodness, sometimes has to remove all of that from us, sweep it away. In order for us to see, you can have everything thing in this world. Do we know this? 
We can have everything in this world and not have God and have nothing. But we can have the presence of God and nothing of this world. And we can have everything. I'd rather have Jesus than have silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than all the riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than have fortune or fame. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. And God brings his people under his judgment to call us to repentance and to show us that without him, not only are we not anything, we have no thing apart from him. Secondly, we learn from Psalm 126 that our hope, our hope, hope has to do with the future. Our hope is in God alone. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev was that barren desert region. I've been in that barren desert region. I've been in that place where to travel down the road on one side was to see nothing but endless stretches of barren desert. And on the other side was to see the land dropping off toward the Dead Sea. Where is there water in such a land? Where are there streams in uh, such a wilderness? And yet here's the picture. The picture of God providing streams in the negative. The picture of God who gives to his people. Those great shouts of joy in the midst of our tears. Where is your hope? Where is your hope in getting beyond COVID? Where is your hope in getting beyond whatever crisis you're in now? Where is your hope? Is it in your circumstances or conditions or is your hope in God? Though God slay me, yet will I trust in him. Look, there's nothing in this world that can give you lasting hope. Nothing. Not your family, not your friends, not your children, not your parents, not your job, not your hobby, not your recreational pursuits. Nothing. Only God. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Uh, just before I recorded this today, I 
got a text question from a friend from another church that asked me about the Antichrist. And my response is that according to John in 1 John 2, there are many Antichrists and they grow in number and intensity toward the end of the age. But in the midst of the Antichrist, we, <laughs> we just pray, come Lord Jesus. Our hope is in God and the future that God has prepared for us. Jesus says, in this world, child of God, you're going to have much tribulation, but cheer up. I have overcome the world. Here's the third truth. We know where home is. We know where home is. And we will weep even with joy until we see the gates of home. This is the context for this psalm. It's the exile. It's the weeping that came in their being away from home. And so verse 6 says, He who goes out weeping, goes out from where? Goes out from places of safety and security and stability and predictability, goes out historically from Jerusalem. He who goes out weeping, I love this, bearing seed for sowing. Uh, why would you be taken out of a place in which you have trusted by enemy forces and among the items that you take with you is a bag of seeds? <laughs> That's hope. And that's knowing that you can trust your God to provide for you. And that bag of seeds is an indication of your trust of God. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves Uh, there are a lot of horrible things that are happening all around us, and there are a lot of horrible things that are happening all over the world. We don't place our trust. Oh, God, how I pray we don't trust, place our trust in a country or in a political party or in a political person, or in the accumulation of wealth, or in our assets, or in our standard of living. In heavens, I hope we don't put our trust in ourselves and what we can do for ourselves. Child of God, you're a pilgrim here. And you're headed home. And one day, by God's grace, you will see the gates of that glorious city. And by the grace of God, through the blood of Jesus alone, you will step over the threshold into that land where we'll never, ever grow old. Into the celestial city that has been prepared for you by God. 
you will at last arrive home. Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Hold on to your bag of seed. Live with the hope that is in God alone. And one day you will see the fullness of the harvest when you cross over into home. God, there's nothing here, nothing that can compare with what you have and are preparing for your people. Don't let us get caught up in all that's going on around us. Don't let us get caught up in the uh, promises of this world, no matter who they come from. We have the assurance through the Lord Jesus Christ that we're going home. Home. Where you are. And the angels are. And the saints are. The home from which we live now as pilgrims on this earth and toward which we are headed as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. God, thank you for your grace in Jesus that gives us the assurance that we are headed home. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, beloved, I'll meet you again next Wednesday as we continue our study of the wonderful Psalms of Ascent.